All human behavior, including language, is the working out of intentions, what our minds are directed towards. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all humankind. Your hosts in England and Sweden, Matthew Russell and Limbold Christmas. Oh, baby. Daniel L. Everett. Oh. Thank you very much. Who is he? We've got, I've got a little section, which is called George's Crazy Space <laughs> Section of the Month. <laughs> I it's a working title. I haven't quite it's found out what we're going to call iteration it Iteration number one. <laughs> he normally has something a little bit left of centre to talk mm. about. And this time it's languages. <gasps> Alien languages. Language. Alien languages. Because he, you know, he had some interesting thoughts. But this guy, Daniel Everett, he lived with these people. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting what happened to him. He's kind of the man. Fun fact about me is that actually one of my hobbies is languages and linguistics, which is so lame, but I mean, I think it's very fun, etymology and stuff like that. Um, And my fun fact of the day is, uh, this is because I'm Swedish, so I think this is interesting. Um, Our close neighbor, Finnish, uh, the language in Finland, is actually uh, from a totally different root from all the other European languages. It's from the Uralic side which means that um, all the other languages in Europe, the Indo-European languages, we actually have more in common uh, with some of the Indian languages like Sanskrit than we do with our next door neighbor, Finnish. George actually told me that, not not during our little chat. He, like you, has got massively into <laughs> interlinguistics. <laughs> Why didn't we talk? I was going to say, that now, now I could have I could have had a day off if I'd known yeah. this. You could, have, you, yeah, could exactly. have, you could have done this little section with him. Oh, yeah. oh, that's that's a little oh, bit well, annoying. Next time, I'll just call him after hours. Uh, we're going to talk about the black hole picture, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to do black that. Hole picture. I tell you what, I haven't done on this podcast for a long time, and I mean a long time. I was looking back through it. I, I haven't talked about rockets for a long time, and I thought, oh, yeah, that old thing. I know, I know. Like, how do we get into space? You know, all this space stuff is pretty meaningless, yeah. and, and unless we can actually get out there. And obviously, yeah. you know, we've had some great successes with like the launch of the James Webb. So we have getting that to the exact spot using the oh. least amount of fuel possible, which was such an emotional huge. roller coaster. And it's actually returning pictures now. Yeah, yeah. I think it's 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 almost done. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like the pictures now are better than Spitzer, and it's not even commissioned yet. So yeah, that's that's, that's super exciting. And I bet you're excited as well because I didn't realize that a lot of the time on the telescope is already mm. being allocated. Yes. When um James Webb was being sort of designed and and going through the the phases of of figuring out what it was supposed to do as its main objective, exoplanets stuff was not as well established as it is today. But now it's a huge a huge amount of the time on the telescope from this first round of of uh uh, telescope time that's been allocated is specifically for like exoplanet stuff. Um, and I'm very excited because it's actually going to have some close collaboration with uh, some of the ground-based telescopes that we're working with. So the thing is, that I'm sure we've spoken about on here before, is that, you know, there's pros and cons of being a space-based telescope and a ground-based telescope. And if you're in space, then congratulations, you don't have a pesky atmosphere to deal with. Fantastic. But you are much, much smaller, specifically in the mirror size, because space-based telescopes have much smaller mirror sizes, right? And the mirror sizes is the thing that decides how many photons you are actually able to collect. So if you're just looking at literally how much light are we getting, then big mirror, more light, smaller mirror, less light. Um, and to be able to launch space telescopes, they obviously can't be as big as the very large telescope. That thing is huge. Um, so the James Webb Space Telescope 
is uh, fantastic in many ways, but it's much, much smaller than the telescopes that we have on the ground. Uh, for example, the very large telescope. So that one, while it has to deal with the atmosphere stuff and, and some things like that, it does have a bigger mirror size. And so there's there's pros and cons to these kinds of things. So we are lo- very excited about having a lot of collaboration uh, in the future. Uh, for example, the, the Cryvers Plus instrument on the Very Large Telescope covers a very similar uh, wavelength band as the James Webb. That's far infrared, isn't it? Yeah, well, mid mid infrared on on James Webb and well, in other words, heat. In other words, <laughs> yeah. heat, isn't it? Yeah, and that's the thing. And especially if you're looking at like <clears throat> I don't know planet atmospheres, then this is a really useful wavelength for looking at um, especially certain kinds of molecules like water and methane and carbon monoxide. So if we take the ground based telescope with its big mirror, look at the same kind of targets with that as we do with the space based telescope, which doesn't have the atmosphere to deal with, then you can sort of use them in parallel and you can cross compare and see what you're getting. And then you get perks of both. Yeah, it's it's super exciting. I mean, and, and the same for the people that look at solar system objects as well, like yeah. turning it to Uranus and places like that, where it's exactly. like, oh yes, we're going to actually get a deep dive into Uranus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see where the gas giant. <laughs> wow. never heard that joke before. <laughs> No, but that, I mean, that's... No, but it's true, it's true. There's all these really interesting new chemistry that they're, they're, and states of matter that might be the core of things like Uranus and Neptune. It's super exciting, that stuff. It's amazing. I actually saw a headline today and I just, I just saw the headline, so I don't know more about it, but it was um, a paper that was talking about how um, apparently the color difference between Neptune and Uranus, uh, I'll say. (laughs) Bring back Uranus, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so the color difference between Neptune and Uranus uh, comes to do with the hazy gas. Yeah. So you know what? I'm going to back out of this anecdote because. <laughs> yeah. It's like having Jamie but, back on the show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? The thing about um, James Webb, I think, is is uh, uh, very exciting. I mean, I can't talk that much about it because it's not my field, but the cosmology stuff that is hopefully going to be able to be done with it is Really, really exciting. Because Hubble's still going and they're complementary as well, aren't yeah. they? So, so yeah, that's, exactly. I mean, it's basically an absolutely amazing time to be an astronomer. Yeah. Very jealous, Lynn. <laughs> well, you know what? This is, especially when I talk to like kids and in an outreach capacity, um, I think the best analogy with different telescopes and stuff like that is because they cover different wavelengths. Um, I compare it to uh, learning the different parts of a song. And if you want to learn how to perform a song or a piece of music, you have to both listen to everything individually. You have to listen to the piano isolated and the drums and the guitar and everything. And you learn those parts on their own. Um, But then you bring them together to create the whole piece of music. And I think this is the same thing with the wavelengths. Um, So you need to look at X-ray astronomy. You need to look at infrared astronomy. You need to look at all of these individually. But then when you know what's going on in those, you put them together to get like the full picture kind of thing. And yeah. this is exactly what, what we're doing with, say, Hubble and, and James Webb. Yeah, and what's super exciting about it, and, and I always got worried about James Webb, and which mm. is a little bit of my worry about the pictures of black holes, is that the picture <laughs> of the black hole, let's face it, is pretty rubbish. And I, <laughs> Until you explain it, and, until you explain it, sure, sure, sure. It's, it's, it's obviously incredible. But to, to, a, to a, just someone that opens up the newspaper, it's like, it's a blurry orange donut, yeah. right? <laughs> Whereas, whereas pictures of things like the pillars of creation look mm. beautiful, and, the, and there's exactly. and, and there and but what's amazing about James Webb is because it's narrow band, it's yeah. not just going to be narrow band in say three or four different 
emission lines, but it, mm. but in seven or something yeah. like that. So you, the, the amount of detail that you'd be able to eke out with yeah. color, color mapping and the way that they're going to do it, I think we're going to get some very pretty pictures at some point. I, I like pretty pictures. <laughs> I mean, data is good, but I like pretty pictures. Well, no, but there, there's something, I think there is data in pretty pictures in almost, like yes. for the, because it kind of reveals things that you can go, oh, that's, that's interesting. And uh, for outreach, let's face it, Hubble's couldn't have been better with the, you know, those big it's coffee. It's been very good PR. <laughs> very good space PR. Good marketing, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We managed to completely avoid uh, uh, talking about rockets. I only thought I'd talk about rockets because there's some interesting, I mean, it is a big year for rockets, this one. It's yeah. Or it seems to be shaking up that way. Because, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, we've got Elon Musk who's completely dominating. Get this, 20 out of the 22 Falcon launches so far, and there'll probably <laughs> be another one by the time this episode comes out. Uh-huh are reused. So that's just become the norm wow. now. That, yeah, that, yeah, so yeah. like reusable rockets, that's the norm now. It's completely ruined the Russian market, which we'll get onto as well. Because mm. I'd, I'd say <laughs> the, <laughs> I'm going to defend Elon Musk. A lot of people have been having a go at Elon Musk. But the one thing I'll say in terms of space, without, <laughs> Elon, without Elon Musk, <laughs> there'd be no way to get to the International Space Station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there'd been, and, and the Starlink internet, Seems to have been pretty good thing in Ukraine, so good on him, good on him for that. And no uh, comment, <laughs> <laughs> no comment, no comment. But the yeah, uh, yeah. and then of course, yeah, we uh, the one that I'm really ro- worried about is the Exo Mars 2022. That's that's kind of been, yeah, that that's been cancelled because of this Russian I, fiasco yeah. as well. So space projects don't usually need an external excuse to be cancelled. I mean, this thing has missed its launch window so many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh, it's, I, it's gutting for all because because of course that's the kind of that's built very near where I am right now. Oh yeah, so it must of be it must be very annoying for the people that. Have you seen? Is it is it really like dead in the water? Not gonna not postponed. It's really cancelled. Well, I mean, it's all integrated with uh, Roscosmos's. Um, Right. Yes. The, of course. The the, the lander, the Kazachok lander. So yeah. if you don't have that, I, I guess it would. I, I don't know how much of a rebuild or a rethink that's yeah, going to take. Yeah. I mean, you'd hope that we want to get this rover onto onto Mars at yeah. some point, I mean, but maybe yeah. there's just not the money or the will to do it now. No, and maybe maybe I mean because something we've talked about on this podcast before is the enormous timescales that space projects happen on. Like we're talking multi decades sometimes. And yeah. so it might be a case of when you get towards the end of a project, um, you're kind of already using designs that are uh, o- older. <laughs> yeah. Um, so maybe at this point they'll just go, you know what, let's just redo it, take what we've learned, and then start with a, a 2022 uh, level of technology replan. Yeah. If I they're going to do it, I wouldn't blame them. If if it was if it's now like looking down the barrel of another five years or something, then maybe they would just do something bigger and better. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, so sad. It is sad. But that's what happened to James Webb in actual fact, yes, isn't it? And exactly. it's like yeah. James Webb went through various reiterations and then, mm-hmm. you know, that whole it's very interesting reading the management of James Webb and all the lessons learned in terms of <laughs> <Yeah>. how, <laughs> how to not have such a ridiculous over budget and overrun, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Of course we got we got we got a whole whole heap of uh maiden rocket launches. Yes. Uh, we've exciting. just we've obviously just seen Starliner actually yeah. get to the International Station, International Space Station, and back. 
So actually, maybe Elon Musk won't be the only person to be able to get to the, <laughs> to the International Space Station soon, which will be, a, let, let's face it, that's a really, really good thing. Still, but well, I mean, we've already seen, like, like to only yeah, have yeah. one way to the International Space Station is clearly lunacy. Like yes. that is like that's that's bad. That's God, bad. I mean, what would have happened if 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 the 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 conflict that in happening in Ukraine and Russia now? What would, what if that had happened ten years ago? You know, or, or even five years ago. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, we or, or three years ago, we would have been in serious. Uh oh, what mm. what are we going to do? Because it would suddenly be lots and lots of cancelled yeah. flights for people like Matthias Mara and yeah. all that lot. So yeah, it's it would be it'd be annoying, wouldn't it? We might even have Artemis One launch this year, the SLS. That's got to be the launch of the year because that's got to be the that's got to be the one that's going to take your head off. Yeah, <laughs> metaphorically or <laughs> well, well, I mean, if you're near enough, probably actually. <laughs> well, definitely actually. I mean, if you were near yes. enough, you would definitely die. Yeah. It would definitely take your head off. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. from but sound God. alone. Yeah. How long? How long has that been planned? Well, yeah. There's a, there's another. There's another There's one. Another isn't long there? term. <laughs> There's another one where it's still the jury's out about whether it will ever carry people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which is which is pretty frightening. Now, but the big one this week for me is mm. U, is is uh, Virgin UK. So you know the rocket, the Virgin Orbit oh, that, dang, that, yeah. that dangles from a seven four seven. Well, a few yes. a few years ago, I interviewed the the boss of Spaceport Cornwall. Oh, which cool! Is, in, which in in Newquay, and they actually plan to do a launch in late August out of the UK from the uh, from from the Cornish wow. runway, which will be the first orbital launch from Western Europe. Wow! Jubilee, step down time for another kind of national pride. This yeah, is well, a, well, the only a thing British first. Well, you see, I think. If that doesn't happen, then you've got mm. then you've got these um, vertical launch systems. So yeah. there's there's two. There's Saxavord, which is well on its way to being able to launch some rockets, but they yeah. may but they may not be uh, British ones. They may be like American sure. ones. Hilm Impulse, Astra apparently, Skyrora are a Scottish rocket. Yeah, company. yeah, yeah. I know of them. Yeah, they might be the first vertical launch. Yeah. in Western Europe and from this UK spaceport. But yeah. hot on the heels of that is Orbex, who, who uh, Jamie and I went up to see their um, facility up in Scotland as well. And that's their prime. So that yeah. th- they actually unveiled that on the launch pad a few weeks ago, and it did look s- super, really? Im- yeah, super impressive. So that's, that's you know, a, a full-scale prototype. So they're on their way. So the race now... Is between Primum Skyrora for the UK, yeah, and Spectrum, which is ISA Aerospace and RFA One in Germany, but not mm. not just that. It's the Norwegians, the pesky Norwegians, uh, also no. got this. I've got this launch pad. So the Norwegians and the Our Germans enemies. might, yeah, might <laughs> pip the British. Who, who are you? Who are you voting for in the in the Eurovision well, this, Song Contest? Nah, well, you know what the, the the joke in Scandinavia is that like. Um, Sweden, Norway, and Denmark, we all sort of make fun of each other. But it's like siblings. It's like we're yeah. allowed to make fun of each other. But if someone else comes and bullies them, it's like, hey, whoa, what are you doing? Well, it's a um, bit like us and the French, except we do exactly. enjoy people taking the piss out of the French. Exactly. And they don't actually care about you guys. No. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're, the well, the best thing is their rivalry is with Germany. Yeah. They don't, they, they yeah, don't, they don't, they don't, they don't have no, no idea about, yeah, they have no idea about the British. We don't even but, exist. Um, 
Is this then uh, Andoya? Yes. The Norwegian space war, yeah. Yep. Well, we have, you know, um, Sweden as well. <clears throat> Just to assure in Sweden well, there. Well, S-Range yes. is, uh, is uh, ramping up as well. So I think it's going to be a, a very exciting decade. Yeah, well, maybe uh, yeah, th- maybe three places with uh, vertical launches going God. up for little small satellites. Everyone seems to be into the small satellite launching space. I wonder if it's going to be... You know. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting conversation for for sort of space debris as well. Yeah. Um, people talking about like if we just it's it's like a microplastics <laughs> with the whole, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard, isn't it, with space debris because it's I think that people get the wrong image in their head of space debris, and it doesn't help with the way that um, it's shown on on yeah, YouTube, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's like, oh, it's an absolute mess up there. And it's like, no, yeah. space is absolutely vast. And so yeah. like, but it's just that when, but it's, it's moving fast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and there's no air resistance. There's no water to soak <laughs> it down. And so it just stays there forever. So yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's a problem. But I believe that there's a British, there's a British launch and satellite that's um, coming up. That is a, another uh, hoovering up of yeah, space yeah, debris exactly. mission. We should definitely do another space debris yeah, podcast episode. Yeah, yeah, because it's uh, we should get a couple of experts in. Uh, there's a few more rockets coming up. Obviously, Ariane Space's Ariane Six and Vega C. Yeah, woo. I might have some interesting, clap, 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 clap. interesting and exciting news for Vega C, but I'll keep that under wraps for now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and SpaceX, of course, might do their Starship Orbital, which yeah. I'm, which may actually go above. SLS was the most ridiculous launch of the year, if it happens. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it's hot competition this year. <laughs> it is hot competition. Here it is. Here's, here's the thing that, um, that gets you the most excited. A few weeks ago, on May the 12th, we saw the first image of the supermassive black hole at the centre of our galaxy. Were you excited? I mean, I was just about to say, if you hear me being very quiet, it's because I fainted. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, I remember, so the, um, as many people remember, the first, first black hole um, image was in 2019. Mm -hmm. And I remember this very well because I was at a conference and I was like refreshing my phone and then it came out and I was like screaming and running around and shoving my phone in people's faces like, look, 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 it's a black hole. And people were not on my level of excitement and I was deeply disappointed uh, and it's uh, it was like a dagger in my heart. Pesky but, um, other humans. Yeah, I know everyone's everyone's an idiot. Um, but um, so when this came out, I was I, I mean, it, I, I'm I'm falling over my words. I just think it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it was funny on episode seventy one, and that's a long time ago. We're yeah. on two hundred and seventy nine. It's 200, 208 episodes ago. Uh, we talked about that they were gearing up for mm. releasing a picture of a black hole. And it was a toss-up between the M87 black hole yeah. and, and Sagittarius A-star at the centre of our own galaxy. Yes. So, and it was, which one are they going to do first? And it ended up a year later being M87, but I didn't think we were going to have to wait four years to get... I know. So, so quick quick question for you, Lynn. What was yes. the What was the delay? Why is the black hole at the centre of the Milky Way harder than M87? So I think the big thing is that this um, black hole in the center of our galaxy, in the center of the Milky Way, is really, really, really tiny (laughs) in comparison. (laughs) And I hadn't actually realized how small it actually was um, until the the image came out and I was reading about it. 
Um, but the black hole at the center of our galaxy is only 44 million kilometers in diameter, which mm-hmm. sounds crazy big, right? But it this does. is actually, it's, it's, it's less than the orbit of Mercury. So if you put the black hole at the center of our galaxy where the sun is, it would, it would stop before Mercury is. Yeah, That's, but we'd, me, we'd be screwed. Crazy. But we'd be yeah, screwed, I wouldn't right? be a... <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, presumably other, Mercury would also not be there. Anymore. <laughs> I mean, presumably, yeah, the accretion disc. We're talking about the event horizon of this thing, yeah. right? Uh, whereas the accretion disc presumably goes out a lot further. Yeah. So you've so got this, this burning hot gas that goes presumably well beyond the the orbit of, say, Pluto or something. Yeah. Um. I don't. I don't know the numbers off by heart, but absolutely. And um. It's worth noting that. So in this image that I hope everyone's seen, this sort of orange thing that we're looking at, that is actually the accretion disk. That Mm. is what we're seeing. Um, This is the uh, hot gas that is uh, in orbit around the black hole. And it's sort of like the, let's say, friction between the dust grains that's going around there um, that is emitting light in the the radio wavelength. And and that's how we took this image. Black holes are black. (laughs) So you actually kind of can't see them. And um, the, some of the first sort of detections of black holes um, were simply by seeing that there were um, stars uh, and objects that were in orbit around some point and not a point that was like a big, bright, glowing thing. It seemed just like a black, a, a, a black point, like there was nothing there. And by working out, because we know for hundreds of years now, we know how how sort of orbital mechanics go. And so then you are able to sort of uh, backwards calculate, well, okay, if there are these objects that have this mass and they're going around in this way at this distance this fast, then you can figure out what should be the mass of the thing they're orbiting. And this is kind of like this indirect detection of uh, black holes in general, um, mm-hmm. because the uh, accretion disk that I mentioned that is glowing, it's very faint. <laughs> um, so that's why it takes so long to take these these images and you have to use um, radio telescopes um, and we use them in big, big arrays that they actually, you have a number of radio telescopes around the earth that are all working together to get this image. Um, just using one radio telescope wouldn't really do it. So, I mean, that's, that's the equivalent, like you said earlier on about James Webb having a small mirror compared to ground-based. Exactly. But th- these ground-based telescopes by joining up essentially have a, a mirror that's the size of the planet right it well not quite well, the, the planet but like but but, abso- but yeah, absolutely but like, gigantic isn't it well this is the thing and if you think about um wavelengths and um if you think back to maybe in school you learned about the 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 spectrum and stuff like that um when you're looking at the wavelengths um of things like ultraviolet light and infrared light and all these things, they're very short. But when you're looking at radio um, wavelengths, they can, it's, we're, we're talking about one kilometer, 10 kilometer, or hundred kilometers in wavelengths. So if you think about a, a small mirror, let's say catching one of them, I mean, you, you can't see what you're looking at unless mm. you're taking a, a big sort of uh, reading, I guess. But again, not a radio astronomer, so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of uh, riffing here, but yeah. <laughs> I think that's the basic idea. Yeah, I mean, there's a Carl Sagan quote that always blows my mind. And I don't know whether it's true. I'm assuming it's not now, that it might be a little (laughs) bit more. But that radio energy that's hitting Earth, like you said, the accretion disk is very, very faint. And and that energy in light is, is reaching the Earth. 
And if all the observations by all the radio telescopes mm. uh, use that energy as a, as a power station, the power that they would have generated so far with everything that we've ever recorded using, using radio telescopes would be enough power to hold a snowflake from falling on your hand. <laughs> so, like, literally, the, 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 the force of a snowflake landing yeah. on your hand is more... Yeah than the energy in all the observations of in, wow. in radio wavelengths, which is like, what? So yeah. it makes you realise just how, I mean, that is why those pictures are impressive, isn't it? I, I, I yes. came, I, here's my little stat. So I came up yeah. with, if, if people remember episode 168 or something, when we when we talked about M82, mm. I, I came out with this, the fact that if Earth was the size of a helium atom, right? So you've got a little helium atom, obviously yeah. you can't see it. No. Then, then M82, the galaxy that, that holds this supermassive black hole, would be two metres across, right? But it right. would be 3,000 kilometres away. Oh, my <laughs> so, okay, yeah. so, so M82 is a very long way away. And yes. the black hole would be the size of a speck of pollen. Wow. It, within that 3,000 kilometre yeah. away place. And yeah. yet somehow we can see it. Like it, it, that is crazy. Now this Sagittarius A star becomes even more ridiculous. Oh no! <laughs> because <laughs> right, uh, <sit> yeah. <laughs> so Earth's the size of a helium atom. Yeah. But Sagittarius A star would be only one point five meters away, so it wouldn't be no. ridiculously I mean, far away anymore. Not at all. But it would only be the size of a plutonium atom. <laughs> So it's not even that much bigger. <laughs> no, so so like a one and a half. Imagine trying to see an, yeah. a, an atom that's one and a half meters away. Yeah. That's that's what the astronomers have achieved yeah. here. Wow! And seen detail. That's that's the crazy thing. That's really amazing when you put it that way. Yeah, I mean, so uh, uh, and people are like, "Why is it so blurry?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it, the, the crazy thing is, I, a lot of astronomers do this thing where they hold their hand up to the sky. Yeah. And and that gives you how many degrees. So if you get your compass, yes. like your compass at school, and you've got your little points, and you pull mm -hmm. it out, and it's got and it's making that little V shape. It, yeah. the, the the degrees between that you're making with the with the compass is how far those two angular uh, distance yes. is how far two objects are on the points of yeah. your compass. Now, yeah. if you hold your little fingernail as as far out as you can. Then, yeah. then you get one degree. That's what roughly one degree, right? And then that's one degree is broken up into sixty minutes, mm -hmm. and that each of those minutes is broken up broken up into seconds. Yeah. So, <laughs> so sorry, guys. The astronomers are weird so, like this. Yeah. So, like, the, <laughs> yeah. So the seconds are only you know one three hundred and sixtieth yeah, of yeah, your yeah. fingernail. Yeah. Whereas these objects are like 0 0.0003 yeah. arc seconds. So in other words, you know, a ten thousandth of yeah. of that, and that's that's what we're seeing with these telescopes. That's crazy. I think I, I think I remember. I, I could be totally wrong. Um, right, right into the show if you think I'm wrong. Um, but I think uh, I remember reading one arc second. Is basically like holding up a sewing needle at arm's length, and it's the size of the hole where you thread the needle. So imagine that within that little hole at an arm's length, 
um, then you have like a, a fraction of a percent of a <laughs> sliver of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it's just unimaginably small. There's and, nothing and, There's nothing that we can compare to that we can see. Yeah, and just seeing detail on that. And that, I guess that's the incredible thing. But it's very, because, you know, you can't even draw it on a piece of paper. No. You know, like I've said, you know, like it, it, you, you draw a, a dot on the piece of paper that not it's even... It's already a, too big. Yeah, it's already too big. <laughs> And and then you've got to have a piece of paper that's at least two meters big <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to exactly. draw another infinitesimally small dot, and and then hey, you've got the scales right. Yeah. Hey, didn't they say it's um like a donut on the surface of the moon? I seem to remember that. that uh, was yeah, an yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, if you saw a donut on the moon from here, so you you've seen a donut, perhaps you kind of know what the moon is. So. There you go. <laughs> but it's even then it's quite hard it's to, just, to, to yeah. visualize how far away the moon is because it's it looks so big. Yeah. But then you yeah, hold yeah. it, you but you can you can cover the moon with your little fingernail. Yeah. Because of the moon illusion. It's very, very, yeah. very, very strange. Uh so, yeah, so but but there's already amazing science that's coming out of this data, isn't there? About these yes. about these about the supermassive black hole, Sagittarius A star A star at the center of our galaxy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I this is the thing. I'm I'm a, a very much like a puppy or goldfish that like every time there's a cool new thing happening in astronomy, I'm like, dang it, I should have specialized in that thing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the black hole is my most recent thing. I now. was going to say, isn't it obvious if you're an astronomer, you should be studying black holes? They are clearly the coolest thing <laughs> in the in, in, well, are they clearly the coolest thing in I the think, universe. Yeah, like most too much of the maths for me. <laughs> m- most of the entropy is all caught up in them. I know, and, and that's it's, all that I, matters. <laughs> yeah here's an interesting one is that when we see the black hole in the middle of m87 that it, it's got like little patches that are more orange in other places because of this yeah. relativ- relativistic way that the that mm-hmm. the that the accretion disk is whizzing round but it's slightly different on the picture that you see of sagittarius a star although actually the two pictures are remarkably similar but we'll get onto that but the but the reason why it's different is because we're the one that we're seeing in M eighty two. We just so happen to be seeing it face on, right? Because yeah, the, yeah. because it because it's actually spun up so that it's in the same orientation as its galaxy, in the same way that the sun spins uh, with the yeah, ori- yeah. orientation of the disk of the solar system. So mm-hmm. does the black hole at the center of M eighty two. But the curious thing is that our black hole at the centre of the Milky Way isn't rotating like the sun, as you'd expect it to like, with, the, with the disc. Right. But it's it's kind of on, at a jaunty angle of about 20 to 30 degrees. Yeah. And so that, that, that's been quite fun for them to unravel. Yeah. I think because people often picture black holes, you know, the, all, all the, I mean, really, the only way we can even attempt to sort of visualise what's going on in a black hole is by doing these sort of... Uh, you know, a bowling ball on a trampoline type mm. things where you have the the the, gla- the ice cream cone <laughs> suddenly. But then that makes people think about gravity and then you're picturing like a hole in the ground kind of thing. Um, so you sort of picture it always being like pointing downwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, black holes, you could like, like everything else in the universe, everything can be at whatever angle it nature decided it to be at when, upon creation kind of thing. Um, so it's very, very interesting to me to or for the astronomers that are working on this to sort of figure out um, what we're even seeing. And and this is something that I give a lot of credit to, um, or we should give a lot of credit to um, the role of computers in astronomy, because it, it, today um, astronomers are 
I mean, I, I say self-deprecatingly like we're glorified programmers, <laughs> but it's kind of true because we do use, I mean, in astronomy, you're dealing with such huge numbers, such crazy physics phenomena, so many physical circumstances that cannot be recreated in the lab. And so you have to deal with uh, enormous data sets and, and weird things. And so a lot of the time, the best way to figure out what the heck you're looking at is to run a simulation and then see which one sort of matches what you're seeing. Um, so I think there, there, there's going to be a lot of work for a lot of people <laughs> for a long time. Oh, yeah. I mean, and what's interesting is that there's some space telescopes going up that might even be able to get actual pictures of movement so that they can actually see what's going on in terms of the kinetics of it all. Because at the yeah. moment, it's like still pictures, isn't it, really, at the moment, yeah. until you get enough resolution so you can actually see how the gas is moving and why it might be moving that way, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But, I, but what I thought was interesting is that the, if, the, if the black hole is at the centre and it's given enough time, it should kind of orientate itself to the sweeping arms of the galaxy. Yeah. But what seems to be happening is that these, like you said earlier on, the stars that are orbiting, that we yeah. first knew that there must have been something very dense and very big there mm -hmm. because you have these orbiting objects. They seem to be having more of an effect on the black hole and therefore tilting it off its axis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember a few years ago where they had the Fermi bubbles? Have you, oh, do, do you know yeah. the Fermi bubble? So these enormous structures, if we're talking about my scale that we were talking above, oh, where, yeah. where they are three meters in length, these things. So absolutely gigantic, you know, 50,000 light years long. That's how, so these are gigantic Criminal. structures. So they, and they think that obviously one of the main culprits of these big bubbles of gas is they think Sagittarius A star. Yeah. But they seem to be coming out of the disk perpendicular. So they were expecting Sagittarius A star to be, you know, perpendicular to the, you know, like the sun is to the solar system yeah. uh, on uh, that same angle. But it's not, it's tilted up. So why aren't the bubbles tilted up? And they think it's because it might be the bubbles are made up of lots and lots of different times where the black hole has been feeding on all the gas that's uh, th that's so around it and then burping out these chimneys yeah. of chimneys of hot gas yeah. after it's fed on the gas around it and then and and chucking them up into chucking them up up away from the plane <laughs> of the galaxy and it's that I mean they look incredible and the the Germans and the Russians had an uh, e Rosetta e was another mm. one that took this that took even bigger structures than the Fermi bubbles Oh, so this, you know, that's been happening for absolutely ages, these enormous bubbles of gas. So, but we're really lucky that it seems like our black hole isn't particularly active. It's a, it's a kind black hole. It's a kind black hole. But it looks yeah. as though it has been very active in the last few million years. Yeah. Because, yeah, because of, because of these bubbles and the way that it hasn't sort of, <laughs> hasn't found, <laughs> it hasn't sort of jigged itself to be, you know, in line with the plane, yeah, yeah, plane yeah. of the galaxy. It's like, it's super interesting, isn't it? Yeah. This is, I mean, this is kind of a recurring theme now on this podcast that like the crazy thing with the universe is that you kind of can never confirm what happened. It's like a CSI scene that we mm. burst in on, like something really weird happened here, but there's never going to be any <laughs> DNA prints left behind for us to figure out. And like, even if we can say, we think that these kinds of, 
phenomena, if it happened in the sequence, would leave a mark similar to this. Like we can never actually know for real what what actually happened no. and what the history of our galaxy or our universe is in detail. No, in fact, I, I used that analogy last month, didn't I? That actually I've been thinking about since, and it's mm. like, yeah, maybe. You know, as mathematicians and physicists, they like everything to be ordered and think that 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 they can kind of. Well, I don't think that they think that, but <laughs> but you know, in, so well, there's a kind of, of feeling that there sure, is sure, that sure. you can you can kind of reverse things and push things forward. Yeah. But it's a bit like thinking, you know, if I open up my washing machine, can I truly yes work out the yeah. order that I put my clothes in from knowing yeah. all the physics of the washing machine I'm after not. it's been running to yeah. for two hours. Well, clearly not. It's too chaotic a system, isn't it? And I guess that's what you're facing there is you've got this absolutely chaotic system that's affected by lots of things and it's probably unrewindable so that we won't know why it's like that to some extent. Exactly. And there's too many ways in which it could have arrived at something. Like one plus one equals two, two minus one equals one. Okay, you've got back to where you came from, but it's not like that in this case. It's not like input goes here, output comes here. It's it's such a enormous, as you said, chaotic system. Um, it's like turbulence or something, or like the weather. Um, I mean, we can't we can't even predict the weather on this planet. Um, and similarly, you couldn't take the weather today and figure out what it was two weeks ago. So no. I mean. Now imagine trying to do that with with the with the universe, where we can't even really observe things that well. We're only just getting to look at the hole at the black it, hole in the center of our galaxy. And it, and it's not just a measurement problem either. That there are some hints yeah. that some things are so chaotic that there is no that 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 you actually even if you knew every single thing yeah, about that yeah, system, yeah. you couldn't rewind it. That there is that there there is actually true there is true chaos as well as just (laughs) quasi chaos. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So any any other thoughts on that black hole? First of all, I can't figure out what they're going to do next (laughs) because those were like the big two, right? No, I just think it's amazing. I'm. It's one of these things, and you know, there's a couple of um, sort of core memories in science growing up, and like I remember finding out about that relativity was a thing. And I remember hearing about black holes for the first time. And I remember hearing about this and that. And I mean, if if I had known that we would be getting uh, these kinds of images, like in my lifetime even, maybe, maybe uh, other people who knew more about this topic weren't as surprised as I was when these images started coming out. But I just think it's amazing. I just would not have, have thought we would be so lucky to see it. Well, I, I, I've got a feeling that if you asked people like very clever physicists from 20 years ago, whether it would be possible. I'm, I think that they may have actually thought it was not because right. it's, it's such a technical feat, isn't it? Yes. That, re- that yes. requires, that does require like brand new computing and brand new yeah. statistics yeah. and brand new equipment and brand new yeah. measurement techniques, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many bits of technology yeah. that, are, that are convergent to that yeah. point. Uh, that's the annoying thing about the picture for me because it it it, <laughs> it 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 doesn't quite say how amazing it is. It's like it's it's annoying. Yeah. It's like it's exactly. It's, it's it's like the ugly creature in the zoo <laughs> that that's really amazing, but no yeah. one looks at it, and then everyone goes to look at the pandas and the the lions. <laughs> Don't judge a black hole by its cover photo. The, I don't know. Yeah, well, yeah. I think I, I think if you could get close to one, it would be pretty awesome. 
for 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 the small uh, bit of time before you get spaghettified, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then you wouldn't have many thoughts about it. Well, get this: I think M eighty seven is because it's because mm. it's uh, six thousand five hundred million times heavier than the sun, <laughs> and it's yeah, two billion with two billion kilometers across. Mm. Two billion kilometers across. Wow. Um, it might be so big that you don't get spaghettified. So there is this thing that uh, there's that, a plus that, sign. Yeah. So <laughs> so so the very big black holes. Yeah. You you wouldn't even notice going over the event, event horizon. That's how I want to go. Oh my! Can That's you imagine? How- <laughs> that sounds great. It's like the hypoxia thing, except <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever going to do it. But but it would be weird because yeah. you'd sort of look out and and the whole of time would be appearing in front of you uh, like the whole future okay no i really want to go yeah Sign I, me it's, up. That's, it's, it's <laughs> crazy really i don't i, I don't I, whereas everyone watching you going over that bit would yeah. see you frozen like at the forever edge. yeah forever <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's uh, uh, slowly fading away apparently which is just just seems so science fiction but the maths adds up this is the 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 sequel to dune right <laughs> or something like that <laughs> uh, i wonder do you think maybe that the next thing that they'll do is to just get more observations of these two and just try to improve on the image they already have maybe they'd already done some additional things hadn't they with the with yeah, the m87 they added the magnetic one. field lines yeah, yeah. and things like so that maybe stuff like that i think the real treasure trove is the actual data without the photos attached to it yes. as as in that's that's what they're really getting the insights from is just the amount yeah. of data that they're pouring through. And this data's really old, but there's a lot of it. Yeah, that's the and, thing. And it, you kind of have to get computer time on supercomputers. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, and, I mean, in astronomy, it's, it's, it's not the, it wouldn't be the first time where people take data um, that was collected from a long time ago, but people didn't really know what to do with it at the time. And then decades or even centuries later, people can actually start start to analyze it in a in a more proper way. I mean people are taking Venus the Venus data uh, from the 1970s and and doing stuff with it now today. Hmm. And yeah. Well yeah. Just, so I, who knows who knows what people who, will do. Well yeah, I mean they're still cracking open moon rocks. Yeah. And looking at them <laughs> and 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 you know from the from 69 and from 1970 yeah, yeah it's it's crazy isn't it? The, the, there's one thing that we didn't mention is the fact that because these because these pictures look amazingly similar, it shows that general relativity is pretty. <laughs> is pretty you know spot what? General on, relativity right? it kind of works, <laughs> and that any and the, the the differences are more to do with the material that actually surrounds the yeah. black hole and not the black hole itself. But they're so ridiculously similar. It's like, well, you know, these these objects. It's just the same thing. They're exactly how they thought they were going to look. Yeah. I, I, I guess that's that's pretty disappointing in in some ways. Uh, yeah, I guess it depends on how you look at it, kind of thing. But um, I mean, general relativity. It's uh, uh, this is the kind of thing as well where I wonder should black holes be considered like a branch of cosmology almost because it's kind of one object but like the kind of physics that it does is just so so much closer to sort of the fabric of the universe yeah. than than being like an an independent object well it's almost like you get you get um the particle physicists yeah 
get excited about black holes because it, it explains. So. Yeah. Well, everyone gets excited about black yeah, holes. But they I mean, really get excited. <laughs> uh, I mean, like I said, I mean, you know, Einstein yeah. had never heard of a black hole. He died yeah. before the phrase black hole was ever come up with. Yeah. And then in the 70s, everyone just thought that they were a mathematical sort of silly Curiosity, thing. Curiosity, yeah. That, that had kind of been Schwarzschild, was, yeah. died in the trenches as a German soldier. It's crazy. Like working this stuff out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, so he was completely unknown. And and then Roger Penrose a few years ago gets the, gets the Nobel Prize because, you know, Black holes have come of age, as it were. <laughs> they've, they've become the cool thing now. Well, it's like, yeah, it, there's no there's no denying that they exist now. And I guess that's, no. that's, so that's why those photos are amazing, because it's like, oh my, yeah, they no, are really, actually there. Is, yeah, See, is the seeing thing. is believing, isn't it? Yeah. And I think maybe, you know, especially our younger listeners, myself included, really, um, maybe don't realise that the leaps and bounds that have been made in astronomy in the last decades in the sense that so much that was hypothetical quite recently is now bona fide, proven sort of, mm. let's say, fact. <laughs> uh, we have direct images, direct observations, direct sort of proof, or as, as close to direct as you can get in astronomy, to all of these things existing, like exoplanets and black holes and all of these things. It's it's just uh, what we're waiting humbling. For. It is very humbling, but a lot of it is as we expected. I got a feeling that James Webb is going to see something that's not as we expected and it's going to blow the whole thing up just as things like the just large... Just as we're starting to think no, that we understand No, things. no, just as things like the Large Hadron Collider are doing the same thing where the standard of yeah. the standard model of physics is going to start cracking apart yeah. just yeah. as we, just as these large cosmological things start cracking apart and it's new physics and we're back in the Neo game. Neophysics. Neophysics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, we'll, and we'll invent faster than light travel, uh, ho hoverboards. Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll uh, uh, find... Up <laughs> upload my mind to the web. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be... <laughs> Utopian a, society. A, a glorious utopia. What <laughs> uh, a positive note to end on. Yeah, it is a positive note to end on. Shall we, <laughs> shall we have a listen to mine and uh, George's chat about languages? Just in case yes. someone lived near a black hole. <laughs> Just in case. In fact, and, uh, you know, societies might live on the edge of black holes because it's a very good place near the end of the universe to eke out the final bits of existence of the universe using the energy uh, gradient at the edge of black holes. It might be the it might be the last bastion of places <laughs> to be if you're intelligent. Why are we why are we wasting our time trying to terraform these stupid rocky planets when we can when we've go got this perfectly good black hole go the corner? live on the go and live yeah. on the edge of a black hole <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah i think you need a very 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 sophisticated technological society but anyway akute the interplanetary podcast putting the ace back into space george yo nice to nice to see you old bean Nice to see you as well. This is going to be like our little monthly slot, the George Russell crazy space ideas slot. <laughs> is, that, is that the name pending? Yeah, name pending. We'll come up with something, but maybe maybe listeners can come up with a nice name for the section. Uh, George, what are we going to be doing this week? We're going to be talking about arrival languages and space languages. So this is it. So this is the premise, isn't it, for this is if we are, make contact with aliens 
can we actually talk to them? That is... It's something I've not really thought about before, but you, you kind of take the premise of, oh, yeah, you know, it'll only take a second to work out the language, but it really isn't that simple, is it? Well, maybe not, or maybe. It depends on, like, a lot. Well, for my little bit of research, there seems to be two competing schools of thought. The Chomsky generative view that somehow through a gene that, that that happened like, you know, some kind of evolutionary advance where just one human had this bizarre genetic makeup that gave them grammar, essentially. It's hardwired into humans, this ability to come up with grammar. But there's also the cognitive view that's that's more to do with our experience in the world being more important than the generative view of this, you know, the, the grammar. It's, I mean, there's so many problems with it. There's so many problems with it. There's humans are able to c- communicate using light and sound, but what if, you know, other animals use different wavelengths of light to communicate and, and see the world? Yeah, it could be magnetic field or, or something taste. like that. Could it even, taste? Could even it even if it is sound, uh, English or any other language for that matter, or like let's say English, for example, English has something like 45 phonemes, uh, but there's like... 200 or so that that any human can make right like the physical limit is somewhere around like in the hundreds right the, the, so when we're talking about phonemes we're like yeah, oh, yeah. those like vowels and then you've got like you know uh, yeah you know all of those yeah. sounds and obviously a alien would have a different vocal cords different tongue different teeth even if it has those features so even if we wanted to talk a language, an alien language, or you have to have a completely different mouth just to make these sounds, or or a completely different way of thinking just to hear these phonemes, even if they have them. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't. The, the, the creating the sounds might not be a problem, isn't it? You know, we, we could, we're pretty good at synthesis these days, and we've got yeah. good sound systems and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know, you're playing into my into my field here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I agreed. I mean, there, there might be the problem straight off in the fact that they might be talking in such a high frequency. It's outside of the, the 20 yeah. hertz. What I'm trying to make is kilohertz, we could yeah. never have a one-to-one conversation with an alien, even if you understood their language. Well, you I might, mean, it's unlikely. Yeah. It's unlikely. I mean, it, might to, it would have to be through, com- you know, through computers, yeah. you know. Uh, I mean, in Star Trek, that all the aliens speak where just about the right frequency, in other words, all the information's round yeah. about four, kilo, four kilohertz, and yeah, and they all seem to be able to make the same kind of phoneme and and yeah, Klingon isn't really that weird. As, as no, a, it's not weird. It's, at all. it's like not even like the, there are languages on Earth that are more different to English than Klingon is to English. You know, it's it's really uh, Klingon isn't as far as as languages can even go with humans, let alone how far we or weird languages could get with other alien species. Well, I'm going to have, I'm going to, I'm going to mention one other thing that makes it ridiculously difficult as well. Of course, when we look at the world, we have this kind of feeling that what we're seeing, like a cup on the table, is what it really is. But of course, it's not. It's your eyes pick up the pick up the signal of the cup as the light bounces off it. It goes into your visual cortex, and then your brain makes a picture up that it feeds to your consciousness that the the kind of what you actually perceive it as so your brain is making up what the outside world looks like and and based on the inputs that that are coming in and of course you know something like a dog 
smell, you know, has volumetric smell. It can smell the volume of things, which is bizarre. And therefore, a dog's experience of the world is completely different. So its language would yeah. probably express that if it was if it had a more sophisticated language. Maybe dogs are trying to tell us stuff, but it, it was just, it's so crazy that we can't, we can't, <laughs> we can't understand it. Just maybe, you know, maybe. Yeah, I mean, definitely um, the way in which you perceive the world uh, and, you know, the senses you have will affect the language that that you ultimately have. You know, like, for example, if you didn't have eyes, if no one had eyes, there would be no word for look or see or colours even. And uh, Well, yeah, I mean, our, our language would change dramatically, wouldn't it? The, uh, the language of objects and description of objects would, would dramatically change and... and and maybe yeah, you'd you'd have a much more hearing based because even even blind people, you know, they when they think of a car, they think of its features rather than the the actual form of the car. So they'll think of like a door and a steering wheel and wheels, but they won't necessarily map that into one large cohesive structure. Um, so you know, like the way in which you think of even st- structures like that could depend on whether or not you have eyes or whether or not. You, you know, like depending on the senses you have, that will def- change your language and change the way that you communicate. Mm. So Chomsky, he advocated this thing called the generative view. Basically, somehow we've got this internal structure, and basically it means that in our head there's a certain set of sounds and a cert- that we can only have in a certain set of orders uh, that would make up our grammar, and that's kind of hardwired in. So if you're a baby the kind of the the set that you're the language that you're born into activates that set of 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 sounds but that, that it's really limited so a baby can be born in any language and learn that language with that that's the extraordinary thing a, a, a baby from any culture from anywhere in the world you stick it with any uh humans on earth and it will learn the language and and I think that's one of the reasons why this generative view exists is because it, it, it there has to be something in there for the for the baby to to latch onto and to be activated. And I could understand that. Uh, and so Chomsky, this is what Chomsky says about you know it, about aliens. This is his quote. He says, "If a Martian landed from outer space and spoke a language that violated universal grammar." We simply would not be able to learn the language the way that we learn a human language like English or Swahili. We're designed by nature for English, Chinese, and every other possible human language, but we're not designed to learn perfectly usable languages that violate universal grammar. So Chomsky actually believes that because of this hardwired grammar element, you couldn't possibly learn an alien language unless you're unlucky unless you're lucky and unless you're, unless you're and well no you'd have to be stupendously lucky this is like a sort of there is a quite a broad range of of how how what languages can look like in english for example in um human yeah well well this is the point and I, and I think that you 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 know about one that kind of slightly violates this chomsky viewpoint anyway yeah i mean so in the in the film arrival which is one i originally like thought of when i was thinking of this there's this language in that film uh that basically once you learn it it grants you abilities such as the ability to see into the future which is kind of absurd but it's like it it um it's it's a uh, root it's rooted it's rooted in in a sort of realistic scenario isn't it yeah yeah it's based on what's known as the sapphire wharf hypothesis 
or usually just referred to as um, linguistic relativity, where basically the language you speak affects the way that you think in like dramatic ways sometimes, sometimes in the, in the film, the ability to see into the future. But there's a tribe in uh, the Amazon, which is called the Paraha people. And obviously they speak the language Paraha. Uh, and it's incredibly weird for lots of reasons. It's like completely... Um, changes the way that linguists have thought about the universal grammar and the universal things that all languages have. So, for example, it's really simple, for example. So it only has 11 phonemes, uh, th- only three vowels, and, um, you know, the rest are consonants. And I mean, but, English has only got five vowels, and how many consonants? It's got it? way more than five. It's only five letters that represents vowels. It's got uh, only, like, 15 vowels. Oh, really. there we go. Yeah, yeah, okay. How many how many consonants have we got? How many kind of phoneme sounds have we got? Uh, it's it's something around forty five or something. So it depends on the, the dialect, but yeah. yeah. So it's a lot more. A lot more, yeah. It's usually languages around there, and there can be even languages hundreds. But uh, the the point is, is really a simple a simple language. For example, there's not a word for mother or father. It's there's just a word for parent, and there's not any words for cousin or grandparent or anything like that. Um, and it's so simple that there isn't even numbers at all. Like you can't say there's one thing or there's two things. You just say there's some things or there's many things. So there's a distinction between having a lot of stuff and having some stuff, but then there isn't a distinction between one, two, three, and so on. Um, And another feature, another unusual feature it has is it doesn't have infinite recursions. So pretty much every language other than this language, you can infinitely chain words into a into an infinitely long sentence so for example in english you can say he said he said that she said that he said that she said and you can just chain that forever uh i mean you you wouldn't but, but I you mean, wouldn't but well, you could. Well, i mean we tried in this podcast a few times but yeah you, but, that was the first wouldn't. take yeah but um <laughs> you know but in this language there's this weird it's it's designed as such that you can't talk about abstract concepts and you know that the the way that the original researcher of this uh, language, which who's um, is this, this guy Everett? Everett, yeah, yeah, because he 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 props up a lot. This this, I think if you wanted to look up a suit sort of superhero in this field, it's Everett, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he's really good at like going into tribal communities and working out their language and. Li- and well, well, yeah, because there's there's some really great demonstrations of this Everett guy. Who can if you if they if you don't have a shared language, he can walk in to a monolithic language, a, a language that's orphaned, as it were. So a language that that has no root in any other language. It's a language that's developed all by itself and away from everything else. So that there is no commonality between that and any other language. He's able to to first of all sort of point at sticks and go. What's this? What's this called? And they kind of understand that that he's asking them to name what he's pointing at. So they'll sort of say a stick, and then he'll sort of pick up other objects like a stone, and they'll say, "Oh, that's called a stone," or whatever their word for it is. And then he'll do things like drop the stone and ask them what's happened, or or throw the stone and ask them what's happened. So he starts to build up verbs, nouns, and 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 hints at their grammar. So that he can understand what they ha- what's happening, and he reckons in a couple of hours he can start to, 
you know, this is a very skilled uh, linguistic, you know, uh, field work. Yeah. Uh, and he demonstrates this. So you can bring on like a, a mystery language and he will uh, he will be able to start a conversation within two hours with this person, which is which I think is absolutely amazing. But yeah, it's, it's incredible that you can learn so quickly. Um, but yeah, his, his work on the Praha people originally started as a Christian missionary. So he wanted to learn the language and then to explain, you know, the Bible and everything and Christianity with them. The problem is, though, their language doesn't have any ability to think about or talk about uh, abstract concepts. So you can't, you know, you can't even, like, where would you even begin trying to explain, like, anything to do with religion or, or yeah, supernatural, so, so, you know? So basically, if it's not there, if it's not in front of you, yeah. you can't talk about it. Mm, pretty much. It, it, it's mean, it, if it, it it's becomes not, meaningless. If it's not either, you know, something in your memory or something in front of you, like something that you can observe firsthand. Uh, it's, yeah. That, 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 so, for example, you would say Jesus Christ, and they would say, well, well where, his, where is he, you know? And, 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 until they've seen him or have a memory of him, yeah. they, they can't even get the concept. The, the language has such an insane effect on their cognition. that There's a, you know, at one point, the um, the Praha people ask Daniel to teach them basic numeracy skills. Um, and after eight months of enthusiastic but fruitless daily study, uh, the Praha couldn't even count. Like most of them couldn't even count to ten, and none of them could count. Could add one and one. Like understood the concept of adding numbers, which is you know like yeah. we. I don't think if there's any ever been like even close to this effect of. A cognition shown of a language. Yeah, so 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 it's so it's one of the it's one of if not the most basic language that's ever been sort of come across in a human tribe, presumably. Mm, but it's, and, and there's no reason to think that these 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 this particular group of humans are thick or anything. No, it's, it's not like it's, genetic. Yeah, yeah of course. It, it's so so it's literally because I guess if you got one of their babies and stick stuck them with an well, this, with an this English does family. Yeah. So that so the Praha, the last tribe of a much larger cosm of tribes and all the others have gone into Portuguese speaking society and they're like fine right they, they can do maths and do everything so it's not like a genetic thing it is purely like the fact that they speak they can't think in uh the way that you can't yeah they can't think in yeah, I mean that would explain why the English are just cleverer than the French maybe it's, it's yeah, just, maybe it's just a language better, thing yeah. isn't it yeah so I mean but, but in all seriousness I suppose you know, we, we could go around the world and that, and that certain certain language, people that speak certain languages may be an, a, at an advantage with with some of their cognitive skills. Yeah, or, I mean, or, or do you think that language I is probably homogenised now? I think there's a fresh threshold where your language is essentially in the category of it can do everything, basically. Yeah. So basically all modern languages have a word and a way of saying anything to some level of accuracy yeah, so under, english yeah, understanding mandarin yeah. arabic all of these languages it's really only pro tribal languages where and groups of and communities that live in very niche kind of mm. you know environments that, that we see this kind of really simplified and weird uh language if we moved away from chomsky a little bit because that that kind of does suggest that that, that chomsky is not right but also the other thing that kind of makes chomsky seem like he's wrong about this idea that that grammar's hardwired and, and you need it is the fact that neural networks that that learn languages don't require it. 
so that they are able to learn languages and 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 do it without without having kind of internalized structures in the first place. So neural networks have been able to sort of learn languages. The 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 argument for Chomsky, however, is the fact that that no other animal other than human humans have languages has you know have multiple languages have an actual language you know yeah, a complete like, language yeah, yeah a complete language like whales can communicate but they don't have a language yeah as such. so for example animals have languages where one word basically has a set meaning so it's like set it's, it's basically a language made of set phrases so mm. imagine a language only made of things like you know long time no see or yeah. hello or goodbye. Yeah, and, and or you can even do that. Obviously, chimps have a very, very broad set of those yeah. kind of phrases. But you can they? only so, get so far. Yeah, you, you, need to- you really can't communicate with chimps. You, you, you can't have a conversation with a chimp and, and they're our closest. Genetically, they're, you yeah. know, and, and their brain is very, very close. And, you know, they're super sharp at certain things, but they don't have language, right? Is that I'm right in saying that, aren't I? They don't have... Language per se. Yeah, like they don't have a um, a, a language which allows arbitrary complexity. I guess is what you're trying to say. Yeah, yeah and and so like I, that kind of plays into the Chomsky thing that there there must have been there's some genetic uh, evolutionary point where we've 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 somehow got the ability for language, but there was also this cognitive view where where which is like the neural networks thing that as long as you can talk about things like movement and and future and past and similarity and difference and agent and object the the moment you start to understand those concepts which is much more i think what humans do more than any other animal that we're able to kind of understand cons- those sorts of concepts those are the things that are that that allow us to have language that rather than yeah. like this kind of concept of internalized grammar what do you think i mean i think it if you look at like how different languages are across the world and how different their grammars are um especially like if you like it, you might not see this if you're english your first language is english and you're learning something like french but if you learn korean or japanese you'll see just how different grammar can actually get uh and this kind of intuits to to say that it, it, that there isn't this base level grammar that really we do generate grammars and grammars can change over yeah, time yeah, through so memetics. Yeah, so in other words, the semantics, the structures of meaning are more important than the structure of grammar, the syntax. I mean, of course, there are like fundamentals in language, like that all languages have a separation between nouns and verbs, for example. Some languages have the, the verbs at the nouns at the front and some of them. Yeah, there's like word order. Yeah, but word but order, there's but... there's even, you know, there's there's weirder stuff on that, like um sometimes there isn't they don't use word order to denote the the um function of a word, but instead mm. like markers, so words that go after a word that just tell you what its use is in the sentence, for example. Yeah, but th- but that that for me sounds more like um convergent evolution so you know that the eye for example has developed several times you know that the, the, the wings it, or, or wings or yeah lots lots of yeah and that idea that everything wants to become a crab <laughs> yeah crabs have evolved like <laughs> yeah. seven times it's ridiculous isn't it that's the weirdest fact ever but yeah they so crabs have evolved lots and lots of different times uh, and so maybe this kind of the, the, it, this that there is a convergent evolution which which i think is probably the thing that that kind of 
muddies the water in some ways in terms of it's it's hard to unravel what was convergent and what was innate yeah if, if you see what i mean in terms of in terms of that in terms of that story um because ultimately language is just logic right it's just a transcription of logic in a sort of efficient way yeah so if we go back to aliens it's like so the, the real hope is that aliens will have some form of shared experience isn't it so that they they perceive time as past and future that they have maybe biological similarities in terms of they have parents and they have offspring yeah. you know if they're breeding so so there's those things like that and maybe they understand things like you know this cause and effect i mean agent and object and all those kind of things and it, and i guess if a, if a animal becomes technologically advanced enough to be able to communicate across space which is that then yeah. that they're bound to have a lot of these similar constructs so there's there's some good news that we that that you know a slightly more optimistic viewpoint than Chomsky has, where it is, it's essentially almost impossible to to communicate effectively with with an alien civilization because of this 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 view that somehow uh, the language is an innate. Mm. Also, I think we should bring up constructed languages here because there are languages like Lojban, which which are which is a constructed language made based on predicate logic, which is basically this mathematical logic systems. Mm. Uh, and there are people who speak it fluently. So if it's if we're able to speak languages like that, there is still hope that we can yeah, use that I mean, language that, that, as a lingua franca. Yeah, from that, that seems to blow to Chomsky animal. out of the water, isn't it? If you could learn it and, yeah. and, and, and be fluent in it. And actually, I suppose that might be a, a way that you could, you could basically get the aliens, or they, they will have probably have learned this as well, that you could learn one of those types of languages that, uh, yeah, that we are both more just, logically consistent, and then you have a shared language that mm, you yeah we develop a lingua through. franca that yeah that uses predicate logic yeah um, and that that could be like the most the best way to talk to an alien through a lingua franca that's constructed for the for that purpose yeah I mean that so yeah that that for me is kind of like almost one of the crunch points isn't it I mean it's it's in terms of yeah, in terms of the communicating with different sounds, that seems to be okay because obviously you, you can know, just write it down. Yeah. You, well, well, you know, a way, whales make sounds in a very low frequency, but you can always pitch shift it up. Yeah. And hear what the heck's going on, so that your ears can hear it, for example, or you know, or even represent it on a computer. The computer translates it and represents it in a different way, so that you can understand it. Uh, you know. The, the frequency that we speak at, by the way, is so important that the human ear canal resonates at the frequency where all the information is, that 4K frequency is why you lose your hearing at and 4K. presumably all necess- uh, all uh, information in language can ultimately can be converted into um, ones and zeros, so you can take like anything written, spoken uh, uh, in English. Yeah, but, and yeah, but I guess into- you don't really want to do that because then you're dealing with sort of statistical analysis rather than... You convert it back into a... Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I suppose that's... Like a representation, like a sort of a romanization in some way. Yeah, there might be other ways of, you know, we're we're looking, I guess we're looking really simply at the ways that you could translate a language because we're just, you know, even when we've been having this discussion, we've been just talking about it as being sound. But but I actually think the likelihoods of an alien talking talking with sound, even that seems to be quite remote as well. 
You know, it could be they could communicate through bioluminescence, like mm. like uh, like, you know, light, like yeah. cuttlefish, or they could or the or the animals in um, heptapods in the arrival in films. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, but ultimately, I think all civilized civilizations ultimately have a secondary kind of right, like some kind of writing system. Maybe not like a with a pen, but mm. but some way of grounding down words yeah, into uh, and we haven't physical even, yeah, media. and we yeah. haven't even talked about the kind of meta language. You know, you and me are talking now, and we're gesticulating, and we're and we're sort of putting pitches in our voice, and there's so much other information in our language, and I wonder if that would ever be able to be uh, translated for an alien. I think you know the fact that it, they might be able to understand basic language, and and we'd uh, get points across. But here's the danger: is the is the fact that so much information is our in our gesticulation and the way that we express ourselves that even in a situation between humans, it's quite you're quite likely to make a mistake that ends in war. But if we're talking to aliens, that have got no idea about what our gesticulations. Yeah, and, that is and a are. plot point in Arrival. It, yeah, yeah, it's it, well, yes, because so because they I say think, I I I've given you a weapon. Yeah, and then the UN or whatever hears yeah. the word weapon from them, and yeah. then. It's like that's it nukes yeah. out uh, and Everett this guy Everett says that those kind of mistakes are absolutely inevitable but you kind of you you have to sort of remain calm and yeah because being in tribes like it can be extremely dangerous well, it's insanely dangerous because you, you you say the wrong thing and you've suddenly yeah that, there's a funny story of of that where there's another bizarre language but for different reasons that uh this guy is um I think it's Australian tribal language like on some island somewhere um and essentially, they've got this weird system where uh, dead people become the name; their names become words in the language, but it also is like swearing at the same time. So <laughs> basically, their entire language is made of of curse words, and so, so depending on on like where you are and what setting you you are in, you have to basically change your entire language oh my god that that language sounds so stressful yeah it's the it's probably the worst it's like it's uh, kind of like a language designed to trip you up i i, I don't understand a lot of it so you uh i like we, I, we can put links into yeah. the description about that because if you want to you know look into that further but yeah it's it's this language where basically you, you've, it's really easy to mess up in that one yeah so in uh, overall then george what how optimistic are you that we could talk to aliens. I mean, not like I'm talking to you right now, but through computers, I think it's just as we can, you know, use Google Translate and stuff to speak to anyone or most people. It's I think the same is true for aliens. We can work mm. out some kind of lingua franca or use some translators to speak to them in that way. Yeah, I mean, I don't buy the argument that we can't communicate with other animals on Earth, therefore what chance have we got for aliens? I think... Because they once, would be making the effort to talk to us Yeah, but not. Time. But yes, but not only that. I think once that there is a sort of... I don't think that you... I mean, we're talking about communicating with technologically advanced aliens, aliens with cities and or, you know, the equivalent of what a city is or, or, or some form of... You know, if they become spacefaring, if they're able to build radios, et cetera, et cetera, I think... Once you get to that level, I, I, I'm much more with this cognitive view that you can. I mean, here's me knowing nothing about languages, but I, I'm, it seems to me that this cognitive point of view. Well, I think it, most it linguists kind of, are on that. Train well, as well. It, it's it, apparently the jury's out on it. Apparently, the cognitive and generative uh, thing the, um, it is definitely winning 
but it's not a sl- it's not a slam yeah, dunk yeah. apparently. We we can't say. But then I think way. that's because Chomsky is so held in such high, high regard. I, I can't help feeling that he has that maybe it's it's a classic one. It's like it it it's like the English uh, scientist was so enamoured by um, by Newton that the that they carried on doing the same kind of um calculus as he was doing because it was Newton for goodness sake and then <laughs> and then the French were so sort of the English stupid English and they, and and, they, and then they went miles ahead with calculus because they were just because they they were they, they weren't in awe of Newton so maybe a similar thing's happening with Chomsky in in language I don't know I mean again I'm just I'm just riffing in terms of of things that might have happened but yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think we will be able to talk to aliens. But the one thing that I think is really sad is that I really, after reading all about this and, and you telling me a lot of the kind of stuff that you've said, I don't think we'll ever understand things like alien poetry or alien music or anything like that. I think I think it's mm, because... We it, will never become fluent in their language. Well, well I, don't, I just don't think we'd be ever be able to understand it. Maybe our offspring would. Maybe if you stuck a baby with them, <laughs> yeah. that, that they would. But I think that, that once you kind of miss that opportunity... Like you said, those people, they couldn't add up because the concept was so weird. Mm. So it, it's like unless the, unless your people grow up with those people, unless you become unless you're a baby within them. Yeah, I mean, the brain is really true. plastic. So yeah, I, so I mean, the, the baby thing's really interesting. Whether yeah. if, if you stuck a baby with an alien civilization, if it could do it, particularly if you have a baby that lived with humans and with aliens, then they could act as this kind of uh, intermediate intermediary think, and say this is the this is this is the true meaning of this. Yeah, I think Michael Stevens of from Vsauce said that. If if he could devise an experiment with and set aside ethics, um, <laughs> damn ethics! Yeah, yeah. If, if if ethics weren't a problem, he would yeah do these sorts of linguistics uh, experiments with babies, where you know have a baby grow up without language and see its effects. Or, yeah, that that would be pretty. That would be pretty mean. It would be mean, which is why well, I, I mean, it, it. I mean, it kind of has been done. I mean, that, there's that terrible story of the girl that was sort of locked away, uh, and and no one spoke to her. And and the problem with that is, yeah, if you don't hear certain uh, phonemes, yeah, you, you'd be mute. You, pretty yeah, much, you, you can't really hear. Or it. even death. and they spent ages teaching her words, and she could she could basically pick up the odd noun, but it but the the opportunity for grammar was completely missed. Writing though, you could learn. Yeah, apparently, yeah. She 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 kind of. I mean, she could communicate, but she had no language essentially. So there is a there is a window where where as a baby that you, you yeah. Know, once you pass eleven years old, it's really hard to pick up insane. new phonemes. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, which is you know, in in all seriousness, is why you know Chinese, the Chinese find it very difficult to hear the difference between wa and ra. They they you know for them it's actually difficult. Or L and R or L and R, yeah, yeah, L and R, yeah. So and, and it's it, you know it's not a sort of it's not a joke. They actually they can't really hear it. And even Austrians struggle between wa and v. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, so Vienna and Vienna may actually sound the same. And, and for an English, you know, we may not differentiate between the sh and sh yeah, in sh English. Sh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, in, uh, the Chinese or you know the, the aspiration or, difference yeah. in Hindi. So they have a p and a th. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, which is another kind of indication that 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 language is troublesome to say the least in terms yeah, of communicating. Yeah, but, but you can you, you can always learn writing systems, which is, I think is important. Though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the writing system thing's really interesting, actually, isn't it? And I suppose maybe 
um, you know, diagrams and drawings and art and things like that is an incredibly rich way of communicating as well. Yeah, logography and and things definitely is helpful. Yeah, indeed. Well, this has been a very interesting chat, George. I'm glad you've joined me for George's Mystery Subject of the Week. Nice. TM. TM. Uh, so yes, if there's anyone out there who's a, who's a kind of space linguistics expert, please let us know, and we'll we'll get you on the show, and uh, maybe we can, in a future show, give you all a seven of in, you, all seven of you. <laughs> yeah. if, if if Mr. Everett's out there listening, then please do get in touch. Um, uh, thanks very much, George. I'm going to go back to the main show now. I the interplanetary podcast is alive. Pity I didn't know you were a linguist. Person. I know I would have joined in yeah, and because that gotten would have been excited and rudely interrupted five hundred times. Where we could have part the yeah a follow up a little follow did up. You, What's Swedish you, for part two? Deal four. Maybe Which, maybe we can have deal four. Yeah, <laughs> and work on the pronunciation. <laughs> Whoa! I try. Sounded great. <laughs> Zing. No, I'm kidding. Ouch. Do you know? Um, have you heard? Have you heard this? Uh, this thing. Um, about um, colors in languages and and at what point in time they were invented. There's this great thing about the color blue and how uh, we think that in most places. And again, sorry, I'm a I'm not a linguist. I'm just a mm. <laughs> paraphrasing something I read once upon a time. Um, but the color blue, because it kind of doesn't actually um, come out that often in nature as a very strong color. Um, and so it was pretty late on that it was given a name, like black and white. It's pretty early on because it's dark and dark and uh, light. And things like red was given a color because people were pointing at blood and saying red. Um, but some of these colors, like if you think about it, if you don't really need to describe it in that much detail, you won't really need a word for it. And I mean, we say that blue and green are two different colors, but you could also argue that like turquoise and and um forget me not blue or egyptian blue yeah. are two separate colors like there's still just a slight difference in hue and and things like that but we're like well no they're both kind of blue it's like well you could say that blue and green are just kind of like shades of each other you know yeah um, well, we had a ridiculous question in a quiz the other day that was what is the, what color is copper is it brown or orange oh just like well it's not both? It's not well exactly it's a reddish brown isn't it which is a yeah. kind of orange and it's like the what makes it copper is it is its reflectivity not its wavelength right, right? so that's what makes the question absurd that's so <laughs> or cool, unless actually. someone's well, got a be- go. yeah so 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 i refuse to answer the question <laughs> just just not available <laughs> i i stormed yeah. out the pub <laughs> and demanded my quiz money back. No, Threw your copper-coloured beer on the floor. <laughs> I did. I, I did. Oh. No, actually, it was people quizzing me down the phone, which made it even worse. Oh, so you, they, you they were they they were having the quiz, and they were phoning me up to cheat. Oh no! Or, or <gasps> at least illegal. Get, I know. Well, it, I, I know, it, it, you know, it's, it's culturally awful. illegal, especially it's, in in the yeah, UK. <laughs> no, absolutely. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, it just gives us a little bit of time. I need to thank the patrons. Yes, and I'm going to thank them because they were really supportive on Discord. They've always been super Discord, you know, always really, really nice to me. When Aww. I had a little bit, had a little bit of a break, and they were super supportive. I cannot thank them enough for all that. It was stressing me out that I wasn't delivering a podcast, and they said, "Matt, don't be silly." 
you can you can you can have a little bit of time off. So I, I they felt, were completely you know, right. They were completely right. So thank you very much. And uh, here is the list of the greatest people on earth. First of all, to the mega legends that are Drew Wright and Justin Roberts, who are at the ace level and will return to being mentioned at the head of every single month's show. And then there are the Skylon Patreons, who are Adam French, Alden Vala, Ben Guthrie, Bob Hodges, Bob Moore, Gene Watchtanik, Jacob Economy, Jim King, Kenton Hokanson, Mark Huber, Mark Kelly, Mark Schoen, Marissa Davis, Malta Keisling, Neil Hansen, Paul Hilton, Rob Unable, Ronald Hatcher, Seth Hybalin, Steve Croucher, and Tristan Tupperhide, and Tyrrell McAllister. Thank you so much, genuine legends. And thank you to all the other patrons out there of which there's another 40 or so thank you so much for supporting the show well lynn thank you very much for joining me once again what should Ooh, we do next month okay um maybe Give people me a topic. can chime in so i think something that we could talk about would be um a specific category of exoplanets oh my god lynn said exoplanets again but bear with me it is a special one because there are a subtopic of uh, exoplanets called not hot jupiter no no ultra hot jupiters and they're very special and very weird and there's a lot of cool stuff that goes on with them what's the difference between an ultra hot jupiter and a brown dwarf i don't know kind of spoilers now oh okay well (laughs) well, there we go we got a teaser no don't do it it's a teaser it's a teaser (laughs) we'll do it we'll do ultra hot jupiters next month ultra hot there's going to be an ultra hot jupiter section there you go i promise you that (laughs) there we go topic lined up Top one topic lined up. Yeah. So there we go. Spoilers. Spoilers. What are you doing? What are you doing uh, this this month? Um, I'm being incredibly frustrated because uh, fun fact about doing astronomy research is that sometimes you run a code twice in a row and it's supposed to do the same thing twice and then it doesn't and you don't know why and you spend three weeks pulling your hair out. So I've been wrestling with code as per usual. Uh, do, do you know what? I, d- I don't think I've ever written a piece of code where you 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 don't sit there for hours going, I don't understand. Why is it yeah. not working? Why is that not working? Why isn't it working? And then it turns out to be a comma or yeah, just or you put something stupid. in the wrong place. You yeah. have to go away and have a cup of tea and then come back to it. And when yeah. I say a cup of tea, I mean... Like Indian oh, black I, tea yeah. that's that's brewed correctly, not in a microwave. I thought you were going to say like with with the whiskey in it or something. <laughs> no, definitely not. That's my, an abomination. My... You can put whiskey in coffee, but yeah. never in not a tea. tea. No, no, no. In no what no. the hell were you thinking? I don't you, know. I've you've never been, done it. I you've, you've enraged my cultural <laughs> sensitivity. So sorry. My 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 supervisor actually today. I was I was complaining to him, and um, he. I think he was joking, but I'm not actually sure. Um, he said, sometimes the thing with, with, uh, code is that you just have to trust it. You have to have faith in it because, uh, it can sense if you're uncertain about it. And <laughs> I was like, what, well, it's like a dog. It can smell fear. And he was like, yes, sometimes you have to trust maybe, it. I'm maybe. pretty sure he was kidding, but maybe, maybe right. if the code get, I mean, if the code gets big enough, mm. it may become sentient. <laughs> and the next episode after <laughs> I, I'll, 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 I'
artificial intelligence. That that does sound like a uh, that sounds like George's George's crazy corner. Who knows what he's going to come up with? <laughs> there next you go. Month. We'll 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 delegate the uh, delegate the crazy <laughs> corner to the crazy corner. <laughs> so if that's the crazy corner, then what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> this is just the the, the podcast. The, the very sophisticated, the, the yeah. very very sophisticated, very smart, two very, yes. very smart oh, adults yes. talking yes. to one another about nodding. Cra- nodding. <laughs> I'm I'm scratching my chin. Yeah. I, I'm oh, yeah. doing my chin. I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, holding where I would have a beard if I had one. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn does have a beard. I just yeah. want to tell the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> this is why this is why I have a face for radio. Ah, that that, that really is ridiculous. Right. Oh, uh, well there, there might be some exciting stuff going on this month, but uh, I'll let you know via Twitter, so keep an eye on that and uh, we'll see you next month. See you next month everyone. Bye bye. 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 bye.